Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. I'm going to forewarn you, you're going to need your Bible drilling skills here today, because we're going to look at a lot of passages, okay? So be ready. You might want to loosen up your fingers a little bit. Get ready to go. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're at. And uh, we're going to look here again, incidentally, at verse 23. So, as a pastor, I live with this dual burden for the flock that God has graciously called me to shepherd, which is here at Portage Bible Church. And the first burden on my heart is that the church might know the truths of Scripture. And I'm not talking about that we have this organized overview. I'm not talking about a survey of God's Word. I'm talking about the deep, abiding, and growing understanding of the Word of God. And my desire is that we study and we dig into the Word so deeply that the message of the gospel of Christ would be at the forefront of every thought that you have. How is this glorifying to God? How, what decision I make today would honor him? What can I do for others instead of myself to honor my Lord? That's my desire. The second burden I have is dependent upon the first. And that is that we just don't learn about it, but that we also learn to live it out every day. That we're not closet Christians. That we don't just put on our Sunday clothes and then come in here, we walk through those glass doors and all of a sudden we're sanctified Christians, but we walk out those doors and we, there's really no difference between us and the world. That we would witness the gospel truths and effects upon our own lives and then the lives of others. You see, you cannot properly understand the gospel without having a major effect upon your life. Because when you truly understand the gospel, it transforms your life. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Nor can you fully realize that transformational power of the gospel until you begin to apply it in your life. One of the dangers in a Bible teaching church like that is that we get a head full of knowledge, but then we never put it into use in our lives. And other churches might be a simpler message, but perhaps they're living it better than we are. See, you really need both. You need them. Both are necessary. Both are biblical. And incidentally, both are the marks of a true believer. It's not just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge also. It's the way that we live our lives. We should be distinct in this culture for the way that we think and the way that we speak and the way that we live. Others should be able to tell right away that you're a Christian, that you're a believer, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and that you will confess him and profess him at every opportunity you have. And see, that's what our text this morning is we're going to look at here in verse 23, because we want to look again 
at this idea of hope again. This idea of hope. Now, you remember from last week that the author of Hebrews, he knows that there are many who are sitting in the congregation who have professed Christ. They said, oh, yeah, I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those, but they're not all in. They're just standing at the narrow gate, about as close as they can, but they just won't walk through. And he wants them to know, again, it's decision time, my friends. You can't just keep straddling the fence. You can't put one road on the road to Christ and one road in, you know, one foot on the road to the world, because sooner or later those paths diverge, and they diverge rather quickly, and you have to make a decision which path you're going to take. The broad path, which is with the one that most people are on, which is the path of the world, or the narrow path, the one that leads to salvation. But you can't just stand at the starting line. You can't just stand at the gate of the narrow path. The author of Hebrews is saying, you got to go in and not just dip your toe across into the gate. You got to go all the way in. You've got to go in by faith. And you got to have this abiding hope in you. That's what he wants to remind them today. So verses 19 to 25, I told you, are an encouragement for people who are not all in yet. And he wants to show them what a true believer looks like. He wants to encourage them to, to be all in. So again, let's just remind ourselves in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, this is really where it begins. He just he gets through those 10 and a half chapters of doctrine, and then in verse 19 he starts saying, now, here is what you do with it. Here's the first burden I have, is that you would understand the scripture itself. And to make sure that they understood it, he spent ten and a half chapters teaching the doctrine of Christ. And then he says now, from verse 19 on until the end of this epistle, here's what you got to do with it. Here's how you live it. You needed that knowledge first to be able to live it properly. But don't just hang on to this knowledge and not do anything with it. You have to step in. You have to step across. You have to be all in. So verse 19, let's just remind ourselves what uh, Brandon had read for us earlier. Verse 19, therefore, brethren, therefore, based on all of that, 10 chapters of doctrine, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. He says, confidence, again, is one of those defining characteristics of true faith. Confidence, you're going to see in chapter 11 again. Sometimes it's called assurance. Confidence, assurance. In verse 19, the author is talking about confident access to God. That you know you now have access to God. What a wonderful thing that is. Then in verse 20, he says, we have confidence uh, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Who's the he there? Jesus, right? And what's the veil? His flesh, it tells us in the text. So Christ's sacrificial death opened access into the presence of God. Remember before, this is an allusion back to the Old Testament priests. How many times could the high priest go in to the Holy of Holies? One time a year in the Day of Atonement. That's it. Say, but you, you, beloved, you can just close your eyes and get into the very throne room, the Holy of Holies, any time that you choose as a true believer. 
because of your faith in Christ and the hope we have. He says, you have direct access to God now. You are to come with confidence, not fear and trembling like the high priest would, but with confidence. Not confidence in you, confidence in him. Verse 21, we have confidence in our great high priest, he tells us. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, here we go. We have confidence in our great high priest. We have the privilege of being God's people. So it's on the basis of those three things, right? Verse 19, 20, and 21. This new way to have access to God that's been opened by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We can now go in with confidence because what Jesus has accomplished by a new, right, which was his... uh, death and burial, and living way, which is his resurrection. And Christ goes in with us. He takes his place there. He's seated at the right hand of the Father where he is currently advocating and interceding for all of you who have trusted Christ. It's on the basis of that, he says in verse 22, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Then secondly, he tells us, To draw near how? With a sincere heart and in full assurance. A sincere heart is a true heart. He's saying don't come, don't draw near to God if you've got some ulterior motive. Don't don't come, don't don't say you're gonna draw near to God so that you can get out of hell free card and put that in your wallet or your purse. Don't just don't just come there because you want You want people to get off your back. Don't just go there because you think it makes you look better or it builds up your resume or whatever you think it is that you're doing. You come there because you recognize that you're a sinner and you're lost and you need a savior. You don't come bringing anything but a broken heart, a broken and contrite heart. You come in humility and say, I am lost my heart is desperately wicked and I need a savior. That's how you go in. That's a sincere heart. That's a true heart. That's not, he's not talking about a heart that's divided, has divided loyalties. And then notice secondly, come with the full assurance of faith. That's what it means to have a sincere heart, is that you come in the full assurance of faith. Your heart is anchored upon the sure foundation of Jesus. And what is the result of drawing near to God and being all in? You can see it in the rest of the verse there. It produces in you a clean heart and a pure conscience. Clean heart and a pure conscience. Again, he's alluding back to those high priests again. Remember, sprinkling the blood on the altar and then the ceremonial washing to be able to even go into the presence of God. He's saying, those things, no longer do you have to do these external things because internally, Christ has already done that for you. If you're a true believer, your heart has been washed clean your conscience as well. Now last week we had some missionary guests and we had the Lord's Supper, so I didn't get to finish all that I had to say. And clearly I had a lot to say because you have another whole sermon on the same verse again here. Well, I want to continue, I want to talk about today some of the things that I didn't get a chance to share with you last week, but they're important here in this verse. Look at verse 23 again, this first part. Let us hold fast 
the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 23a, again, I shared this with you last week. All in faith means we hold fast to our confession of hope. Because of what Christ has done, we are to draw near to him. And then once we draw near to him, my friends, we are to hold fast. That word hold fast means a firm grip. It means to retain something, to to grip it and not let go. To hang on to it as if your life depended upon it. To take possession of something that's extremely valuable, never letting it go. That's what that word means. My friends, that's what saving faith looks like. We cling to the truth of our salvation. We cling to what Christ has done for us. We cling to our faith and we never let it go. You hang on and you just keep hanging on. We cling to the truth of our salvation and this hope we have in Christ with every fiber in our body. Every week you are bombarded with messages to let it go, to let it go. Wouldn't it just be easier if you just kind of went with the flow, my friends? Satan just tapping you on the shoulder every day. This is how the rest of the world's living. They seem to be getting along okay. Why do you have to be all in? Why do you have to go to church every week? Can't you just listen to a podcast or something? And that word is in the present tense in the original language, which means you don't just hang on and then let go sometime. You hang on and you keep hanging on. You you hang on, you keep hanging on. It's not something you hang on and forget about. You seize it and you hold fast with everything that you have. And notice, secondly, in our verse here that it's a confession. I told you last week that word is homologia, which means a public testimony of your deeply held belief. Now, we have some baptisms coming up here in the next month. And you're going to hear testimonies again. Now, baptisms are one of my favorite things to do because I, I look out on your faces, my friends, of all you who are saved. And I could see the emotion in your face and the joy that you have of another believer making a profession of Christ, standing publicly and confessing their love for the Lord. It is by far one of my favorite uh, responsibilities and uh, activities, if you will, of the church. And we've seen this word confession. It's actually been throughout the entire epistle. So here we go. Let's look at our first one. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4, verse 14. How are we doing on time? Okay. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast what? Our confession. Okay? He's not talking about making another confession, but to cling to the confession that they have without hesitancy, without doubt, without wavering in regard to that which they had already made a confession. He means to openly, unashamedly profess Jesus Christ at every opportunity. That's what true saving faith looks like. We draw near having access to God because of what Christ has done. We hold fast to our saving faith together with fellow believers. And then again, we are to confess 
We're to confess what, our text tells us, or perhaps better, whom. Well, the text tells us we are to confess the object of our hope, or our confession of hope. Your text should have hope there, not faith. The word is uh, elpis, which is, which is hope. Pistis is faith. So you should have the word hope there. Now, faith and hope have a, uh, there's a connection. There's a strong connection between the two of them. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Someday we'll get to chapter 11, and I'll fully explain this to you. But for right now, look at Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things, what? Hoped for the conviction of things not seen. So that's what faith is, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What is hope then? What's the definition of hope? Hope is a reasonable and confident expectation. Specifically, it's a reasonable, confident expectation of future events. Now, again, I'm not talking about the things the world, when the world talks about hope, it's like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today. Oh, I hope I get my things done. Oh, I hope that uh, uh, things go well next week. No, this is not a wish. This is a confident expectation. Things like, I know that when I close my eyes in this life, I'll immediately be in the presence of God. That's a hope I have. That's a confident expectation that I have. That Christ is living in me and working through me to accomplish his will. That's not a wish. That's a hope. That's a confident expectation of what God is already doing. Okay? So, now we've already looked at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Let's look a little bit about this word hope because I want to show you the author of Hebrews has been talking about it all along. So turn to chapter 3, in Hebrews chapter 3, 